and welcome to the Forefront of Automation, brought to you by Intradium, where you will learn from your peers how companies are leveraging automation to increase efficiencies and improve the customer and agent experience. Welcome to the first episode of the Forefront of Automation, Workforce Heroes. I'm Matt McConnell, CEO of Intradium. This podcast is the forum for contact center professionals where we can share their challenges and shine a spotlight on their success stories. Today, we have a special guest who comes to us from British Gas, Paul Malloy, the head of resource planning. Before we go to that interview, let's take a quick look back at the incredible business challenges contact center professionals faced regarding business continuity and remote working in 2020. Operating a contact center was tough to begin with. Increasingly unpredictable customer demand through a growing list of contact channels, higher expectation of immediacy from customers, more complexity in products and services, staffing dozens of queues, not too rich, not too lean, but just right to make everybody happy, and a workforce that often has high attrition, scheduled adherence and absence issues. Operating a contact center was tough to begin with. Then you throw in a global pandemic that requires social distancing. If you've ever seen a contact center, you know they are the opposite of social distancing. So contact center operators had to figure out in less than a week in most cases how to shift their entire contact center workforce to work from home. Think about this. In a week, contact center operators had to figure out how to get a quiet workspace, reliable voice, sufficient bandwidth and computer hardware for all the applications into agents' homes for hundreds, thousands, or tens of thousands of employees. In a week, and many people don't fully appreciate this part, Offshore agents in developing countries are in developing countries. They don't have reliable phone and data networks, and the employees don't have computers in their home. So many companies lost a large portion of their contact center workforce. And last, but certainly not least, trying to predict what customers were going to do during the pandemic was not easy. If you're in a telecom, you got hammered with calls about broadband. If you're in banking, you got hammered with calls about stimulus check. And if you were in retail, store volume went to zero, but online volume went through the roof. So the pandemic was a monumental challenge for contact center operators in an already challenging business. But I have to tell you, I work with a lot of contact center operators, and you folks did not miss a beat. You rose to the challenge. You rose to every challenge. I was so impressed at how smoothly this went. And, and many of you told me you surprised yourselves. This reinforced for me something I knew, but I don't think I fully appreciated. Contact center operators are heroes. Sure, many of you are crusty, tough from years of managing daily chaos, thick skin from getting beat up in an often thankless job, but you guys make it happen. Every day you rise to the occasion. No matter how tough the challenge, you rise to the occasion. The pandemic proved that there is no challenge you won't rise to. And in my book, that's what heroes do. 
So we're focusing some episodes of this podcast on you guys, workforce heroes. Let's spend some time now hearing from a workforce hero, Paul Malloy. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Workforce Heroes podcast. I'm Jennifer Lee, Chief Strategy Officer at Interdiem, and I'm here today with Paul Malloy, former head of resource planning at British Gas. Um, hi, Paul. Nice to see you and nice to speak with you. If you mind introducing yourself um, to the group. Thanks, Jen. You know, it's really great to be here with you today. I'm, I'm really looking forward to our time together. Uh, just a little bit of background on me, if that's okay. I mean, my background is in engineering. Uh, my degree is in mechanical engineering, and, and that's kind of where it all started about 40 years ago, believe it or not, when I joined British Gas. Uh, and my first role was as a planning engineer, you know, was designing gas pipelines to distribute um, gas through residential and industrial and commercial properties. And, and that was back in the, in the mid-'80s. Uh, and there were no personal computers then. There were no laptops or just a pipeline full calculator and a calculator and, and, and pen and paper. And, my, how the world has changed since those days. <laughs> Absolutely. And you've seen that entire evolution. That's amazing. Well, it's great to have you here. And, you know, along with the theme of our podcast today, I thought we'd start with sort of a fun question, which is, really all about superheroes. So, Paul, if you could take one power from a superhero and make it your own, what would you choose? Well, that really is a great question to start us off today. Thanks, Jen. Um, I suppose when I think about this, I've always had a bit of a liking for Iron Man. Um, And one of his great superpowers is um, technopathy. And, well, why Iron Man, you might ask yourself? Well, you know, there's quite a strong connection uh, to Scotland as it happens, as you may have noticed from my accent, I, I'm not from the US, uh, I live in, uh, in Fife in Scotland. Uh, but I don't know how many of you have actually heard or tasted Iron Brew. Um, it's actually Scotland's other national drink after whiskey. Um, it has some amazing <laughs> superpowers, actually, as a therapeutic energy drink, and it's absolutely brilliant for curing a hangover. If you have one or two too many the night before. And it's made right here in Scotland from, from Iron Girders. Uh, and as you know, Tony Stark, uh, who plays Iron Man, is, is is a bit of an inventive genius, isn't he? He's got massive expertise in engineering, electrical and mechanical, and it surpasses even that of those heroes like Reed Richards and Hank Pym and Bruce Banner. You know, he's really the, regarded as one of the most intelligent guys in the Marvel Universe. And, you know, he, he got um, advanced degrees from MIT. I know this is all fictional, but, you know, he did. He did. And, you know, and he, and he really developed his skills around artificial intelligence and quantum mechanics. And I think he's a brilliant role model for any aspiring engineers. But um, why, why technopathy? Well, for those who are not familiar with it, it's the ability to control electronic technology through either physical touch or through brain power, through the mind, which I think is really interesting. And uh, he used it to great effect in, in many of his Marvel movies, you know. So if you think back to the first movie, and I was just thinking about this last night, he was trapped in a cave in Afghanistan, and he was being held captive by a bunch of terrorists called the Ten Rings, and he had a massive problem to solve, which is a, which is something we often have to do in workforce planning and in engineering, so, solve a big problem. And he was forced to build a, a Jericho missile. I'm not quite sure what a Jericho missile is, but it's obviously something quite nasty. Uh, but with the help of his mate, uh, Ho Yinsen, and his own intelligence and his, and his brain power and some bits of metal and some electrical circuitry, he built the first Iron Man, and he was able to control it using technopathy. There you go. Yeah, I love that. What a great choice, even in light of our discussion today, right? And um, talking about 
how people and technology work together. I think in the Marvel universe, Tony Stark is the prime example of that. And Iron Man is the prime example of that. Also, I have not tried Iron Brew. However, I have circled it for those occasions where I may need it after a fun night. So I, <laughs> I appreciate that tip very much. Oh, so as we talk about, you know, workforce planning in particular then and kind of that evolution that you've experienced, you talked about, um, you know, starting in the 80s prior to the technology implementations that have happened along the way. Um, so in other words, you've had a long career as a workforce planner, right? Um, if you had to choose one word to describe your role as a workforce planner over the course of your career, what would that word be? That's another really good question. You know, I think I've been in workforce planning for about 20 of those years. So half of my time in British Gas was in a workforce planning role, mm-hmm. uh, culminating in the director role the last five years. And, you know, when I think about this one, I think one of the best words to describe the role of workforce planners is, is curiosity. Um, and I know that, you know, curiosity killed the cat and all that, didn't it? But I guess that's why cats have nine lives, so they could be curious and, and it's not fatal. Um, but I think being curious is simply that sort of desire to know, you know, to know and to learn. And um, it really encourages you to ask questions, uh, and seek to understand better what's going on around you. You know, maybe to learn more about your work. It may be to learn about your operating environment. It might just be to understand the people around you uh, and the world around us. And, and I think that's quite key for those tasks with workforce planning, you know, whether that's so in understanding demand, you know, getting under the skin of those things that drive customer contact, uh, and whether this is good, you know, really positive value-adding contact, the stuff that businesses really want because it helps you to grow, or that bad avoidable contact, which is sometimes described as sort of waste contact because it kind of destroys value and it adds cost. So I think curiosity, you know, is really, really, really helps there. Or it could be on the it could be on the capacity planning side, you know. It could be around, you know, what kind of solutions, what planning solutions will best fit, you know, the particular demand challenges you face, uh, creating that kind of optimum level of match that you need to deliver, you know, great customer outcomes uh, and good customer experience and is flexible enough to deal with those kind of uncertainties as you and I know about from our time in utilities that, that come along, you know, every so often and, and impact even the best plans. Yeah, absolutely. Curiosity is such a great choice, you know, I think about, all of the questions that have to be answered in these planning practices and, and often questions you don't even know you should ask at first, right? So, you know, in, in my old world, there were times where a marketing initiative would be deployed and we didn't even know as workforce planners to ask about the next, you know, mail campaign or the next commercial that was being put out and expectations around it. And suddenly you've got an influx of volume because you had a wildly successful campaign and, um, and you didn't know to ask. So I think curiosity is a great choice. <laughs> yeah. And I, I recognize those challenges, you know, and this, um, we often forget to connect though. We connect with each other and, and, and share things like the data that tells us things are either about to happen because it's a planned campaign or it's happening. It's physically happening. And, you know, I think about the way in which we use capabilities that, that the Interdem solution gives us. You know, it's not only access to data, but it's that connectivity of people and data, you know, in a way that we can exploit it and automate. And that's often underpinned by curiosity, right? It might be, it might be the guys put the marketing campaign together. It might be the rules writer. It might be the data scientist or engineer. But it really is about mm-hmm. understanding and connecting in a way that allows you to anticipate and intercept what might be about to happen. 
Absolutely. Completely agreed. You know, so you talked about curiosity, um, killed the cat, but the cat has nine lives so that they can continue to be curious. I would imagine it's safe to say that you've had some sort of evolutions and, and tough trying times over the course of your career as well, where you needed an additional life in order to get through it, right? So if you think about the most challenging time in your career. Can you just share with us what was the most challenging thing that you've dealt with over the last, you know, 20 plus years of being a, a workforce planner? Yeah, for sure. And there were, there were many of them, Jen, I can, I can <laughs> tell you. And, uh, you know, in, in many ways, learnings from those experiences were some of the, the best things that we could do. But, you know, there have been a number of challenges over the years. I remember two particularly challenging um, weather-related periods as well, um, where you get extreme weather and it creates a real role of work. You know, everyone wants your services, everyone wants to contact you, and you've got to really prioritise service for, for the most vulnerable. You've got to stop doing the work that's not as important uh, and then look to catch up when, when then weather eases. And I remember a particular one back in December 2010, uh, it was a particularly cold period. It was sustained, you know, sub-zero or sub-32 Fahrenheit, you know, temperatures. It lasted for about six or eight weeks through into January 2011, and it, it created some real challenges in contact levels. And and one of the and then home visits as well, which is one of the things we we had to deal with. So not only taking the contact, but fulfilling the service through the field engineer. And um, what happened was was that because the temperatures below zero, the condensate boiler pipes were just freezing up all the time. And although the boiler was okay, it stops the boiler from working. And you know everyone desperate to get their heating back on to look after their families. And and um, you know actually it was quite a simple job to take a hot water bottle or some warm water and and. and and defrost the pipe. So one of the things we learned at that time was we put some, some IVR messaging together, which talked customers through how to do that. And we started to build YouTube videos around about self-help. So there was a great learning in that one. We just couldn't really cope with the demand, but there was a there was an area we could we could we could help customers to self-help. And I think that's when we really started to invest in some of those things. And also we did some retrofit work. We fitted we retrofit uh, trace heating systems to to boiler installations to help, you know, not get in that circumstance again. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> um weather events for those of us who've worked in the utility industry, there is just the things that you think are predictable create unpredictable responses, right? For, I mean, you can predict that the weather's going to get cold, but you can't predict that there's going to be these mass occasions of freezing of boilers that cause people to not have heat to keep them warm during that cold weather. So that's the unpredictability, even within the predictable trends that I've always called kind of the layering of the art over the science of planning, right? You have to be prepared for the art and to respond to those things that even are beyond what you've already planned for. Absolutely, yeah. I remember there was another one in 2018, actually, when I got, um, I was down in London, actually, working out of our London office and got stuck there for like uh, about 10 days um, because it wasn't just the fact that there was a huge dump of snow, actually, and the UK can cope with little bits of snow, but it can't cope with lots of snow, and certainly not in the south and the southeast. And, you know, we had transportation problems getting our, advisors into the offices and we had challenges getting our engineers out and I do remember actually I twice tried to implement home working well after a couple of these events and that was my attempt to try and get some flexibility where people could stay at home and you know my goodness if only we had managed to get that done but over the line at that time we may have been in a better position oh my gosh yeah who would have guessed how necessary that would 
become just a couple of years later, right? Um, and actually, speaking of 2020, let's talk about 2020. So a year, when we talk about planning, you couldn't have planned for what happened in 2020, right? I don't think anybody could have. And it was a year in which just about everyone was asked to respond in ways and really test business continuity, something that, you know, from my perspective and my experience has often just been words on a page, business continuity, you write it down, you hope you never have to use it. Well, 2020 made us pull those plans out and really put them into practice, right? So how did yours go? How did BCP um, business continuity planning and those activities go for you guys? What went well and, and maybe what didn't go so well? Well, I think the first thing I think we would all agree with, Jen, is that the challenges we've faced from the global pandemic have been unprecedented, doesn't that? It's tested all of us in, in business and across society. But I, I don't think when any of it kicked off in early 2020, we had any real idea of how this is going to impact us and, and sort of probably change our lives in, in some ways. And when I look back, um, yes, we did have a continuity plan. We did a resilience continuity planning with some basic plans for a pandemic, but these were pretty inadequate, you know, to deal with the um, very immediate lockdown impacts and the call for working from home, which hit us in the UK and across Europe and Asia around about mid-March was when the, the first lockdown started in the UK and Europe. And, you know, we had this massive challenge, effectively, to get something like 6,000-odd you know, UK um, office-based contact centre agents and a further 2,000-odd support staff um, in the UK into homework. And then even with our partners in both uh, India and South Africa, another 2,500 frontline um, contact centre agents um, dealing with web chat and voice, we had to help them to get, you know, into a situation where they could safely kind of work from home. And, you know, something quite amazing kind of happened during that period. Um, you know, we, we had to quickly respond. We were fortunate to be able to bring together a team, you know, of, of people from some of the key functions that we needed to try and, you know, build a technology and logistics operation which could really support those customer contact channels and really help us manage customers um, who were requesting information, just looking for help, looking for advice, support for the products and services. And at the same time, we're still trying to work out, you know, what was possible for us to do for them. You know, what, what, what types of work could we do? What types of work were we not allowed to do? And, you know, it was absolutely amazing to see that with a, a real common and singular goal, because that's all we were focused on, getting everyone working from home in as short a time as possible. And and that was really key to being able to open back up our, our contact channels and, we saw like procurement and technology teams, you know, going out securing laptops and notebooks and, and purchasing some of them and, and also mobile phones, which were part of the solution and then setting up the systems in days, you know, rather than weeks and months as it would normally take. And then with the planning and channel teams, you know, thinking about what messaging do we want to put on and how do we direct customers to try and get the right information? How do we try and get them online into self-help channels? And how do we try and prioritize the little resource we had for those really vulnerable customers? And how the operations and support teams try to figure out kind of how to communicate, coach and support and manage teams, you know, in a remote environment. It's something that would normally have taken over a year to do, in, in my experience, in a home working project. I read some research of something like 400 days start to finish, and we had to do it in about two and a half weeks. And it was just incredible, you know, absolutely incredible. 
That's amazing. Yeah. Two and a half weeks is just phenomenal to make all of that happen. It's interesting because it's a perfect example of how, why we're here talking about this, right? Which is workforce planners and the people that make these things happen behind the scenes are unsung heroes from a consumer perspective. As consumers, we don't realize how much work and effort and time went into making sure that when I picked up my phone, to call and report that my heater wasn't working properly or that my bill was incorrect even. The amount of work that goes into ensuring that somebody answers on the other end normally, let alone during a global pandemic, is it's really amazing. And it sounds like your team really rallied and came together cross-functionally to, frankly, pull off a bit of a miracle in two and a half weeks. Yeah, I was, I was particularly to the team at that time and, and all the way through, actually. And as you say, it's often kind of a behind-the-scenes work. It's not necessarily the most obvious or uh, visible work, but it definitely is highly important, as you say. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when we talk about that miracle you pulled off in 2020, anything related to technology in particular that really helped you guys pull that off? How did technology enable you to to pull this miracle off in two and a half weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think when I think about it, Jen, the, um, one of the real challenges around, you know, having agents working at home and not at the end of the desk is how do you communicate to them? How do you keep them informed? How do you keep them up to date? And we were very mindful of trying to make sure they were supported. You know, some of those agents were working on the the, the bedroom at the end of the bed. You know, they didn't have a study or a, or a room to, to work in. And, you know, we used a few of our automatic Information tools, actually, um, we, we used intraday them really well uh, to set up some messaging because we wanted to let our agents know when channels were open and closed or when certain work types could be done or not or whether we were doing something different from a debt collection perspective or a cash collection. So being able to use, you know, online messaging, which is not hidden away in the background and you've got to go and find somewhere, it pops up on your screen, allows you to see it real time, even if you're talking to a customer, you know, and, and that, um, along with some of the sort of quality, um, mechanisms we put in place to try and support through a knowledge a knowledge management system as well was kind of key to keeping our agents supported, making sure they felt that level of support so they could really look after our customers. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, the importance of communication in particular with a dispersed workforce, you know, communication matters. We talked about that up front, how a failure to communicate can impact a lot of things downstream. And then you think about your workforce suddenly not even being in the same location and it's harder to reach your agents. Having a unified platform to do that with, it sounds like, um, was really important. So what about automation? Let's talk about the role automation has played um, with you and your team, you know, not just in the context of 2020, but sort of overall, what impact has automation had on you and your team and your abilities to do your job? Yeah, I mean, automation is a really quite a profound, you know, effect on our business and our customers and in contact and processing centers and planning teams for sure, you know, the last three, four, five years. You know, back in, in 2017, we did a bit of a strategic review and we, we set out some objectives which were intended to sort of move us forward to sort of deliver on a vision of kind of market leading but low cost customer experience over that, that period. And automation and self-service were, were pretty key components of achieving that vision. You know, we had, like other organizations, invested quite heavily in our online you know, digital capabilities. And we had an ambition to try and get 70% of customer interactions completed 
by Surf Service Channel by 2021. Uh, and at the same time, and again, this was pretty ambitious, we wanted to see a sort of reduction in call demand of around 50% in the same period. And, you know, we had to make some investment choices around that time. We had to think about how we're we going to invest in things like our, our um, telephony platform, you know, self-service applications, because although, although these were being developed in the digital space, we could leverage them in, in the IVR and making sure also that we started to introduce things like natural language call steering so we could we understand why the customer is calling and make sure we directed them to the, the right agent. Uh, and we also tried to significantly increase our web chat offering to help support the digital journeys because some customers were getting a bit stuck in the journey and having web chat agents to support them, which were you know based on the demand rather than con- constrained by capacity. That was some of the things we set out to try and do. And the other thing I wanted to do at the same time, we set out to redesign and right-size our, our sort of planning and support functions because as we were doing that in our front office functions, it felt right that we should take the same time to, to look at um, our own teams, if you like. And, and we introduced you know some workforce management solutions that allowed us to do self-service for schedule and agent time exception management. And we did at that time also extend our support tools and intradium and speech analytics was part of that, you know, automated QA, you know, one-to-one and, and, and ad hoc coaching time, training delivery and, and, and balancing across channels as well. These were some of the tools that we were able to use. And, you know, more recently, we've been looking at investing, you know, new tools to help us support with demand management modelling. You know, we've been disrupting actually our demand for the past three, four years because we've been trying to push customers to the online channels and, and hope that they stay there. And of course, that makes all of your forecasts and routines and historical patterns a little bit, you know, out of date. So we, we, we looked at how we could, again, talking about data, which you and I have mentioned, we talked about how we could build some sort of data pipeline that would bring together some of our customer, customer contact, transaction and events, and then leverage that through a sort of data factory almost that says, if we understood better what things drive customers to contact, could we predict that in the future? And that's really helped to, you know, improve the effectiveness this and efficiency of the unit. And interestingly, I mean, the results of that are quite impressive. We didn't quite hit all of it. But, you know, we managed to get a 41% reduction in call volumes, which was great, 28% reduction in cost to serve. And, and I think when I look at the planning function over that time, we, we, we more or less have to, in terms of agents, and we've changed the type of work, removing some of the routine, you know, data crunching activity, using the machine learning and automation to help with that, and let them do the insight and the analysis work. So that's the balance that's been, been restructured with that support. 40%, over 40% reduction in call volume is impressive. 70%, um, I'm sure uh, your eyes were pretty big when you were given that goal to try to reduce volume by 70%. I know we've been trying to, you know, push customers more into the digital channels for a long time. It seems, you know, a decade or more of that being a, an effort across the industry and customers being people, they're still going to do what they want to do, right? And often I, even as a call center person, I'm guilty myself of sometimes chatting with somebody while calling them and while sending an email or maybe even going on to social media. So in some ways, you in, you tend to add volume as you add channels instead of reducing it. So the fact that you guys got a plan in place that allowed you to give customers different channels to self-serve, different ways to interact with you, and successfully shaved call volume down and reduce your overall interaction volume is really impressive work. That's a great job by you guys. Let's um, move forward into the trends in the industry and in workforce as a practice and a discipline. What do you see coming? What are the greatest opportunities you have 
line of sight to for workforce planning, for British Gas and other companies that are looking to continue this evolution and this great progress you all have made. Yeah, and it's, it's quite a challenge in trying to look ahead, isn't it? Because we are in the middle of this, you know, difficult sort of situation. Yeah, and, and you know, out of that, I think there will certainly be some hardships and things we've got to deal with. But I do also think there's going to be a great opportunity. You, you probably heard the phrase "build back better." You know, there is an opportunity here for some correction to to build things back in a different way. And and we know that the challenges that we're facing are turning some of what we thought, what we thought might be temporary solutions into some more permanent and enduring solutions. And I think that will offer up a number of opportunities as well. You know, I think we talked home working before and I failed attempts to get it in uh, in the 80s and 90s, but I think home working will remain a, a feature of our operating model. Our surveys are telling us that our, our, our teams would like to be able to continue to work from home. But it will provide and is providing more flexibility, um, more tailored shift patterns, you know, split shifts, faster response to those unexpected spikes that we talked about before. And I think providing a little bit more balance, you know, some of that work-life balance to be able to take a break in the day and go and do something go to the gym, you know, do some exercise, just more time for family commitment. You know, that will also improve physical and mental health um, of our our teams as well. And we talked about, you know, the investment in self-service and digital channels. And I do think that contactless business, um, we think about it in credit card terms, but, you know, click and collect and home delivery from, you know, various organisations across the globe will be a massive part of how we do business in the future. And I think customers becoming more attuned to using them because they have to, uh, and the easier we can make them in their design and in their ease of use, then I think that will help. Um, you know, there will be some challenges, I guess, to overcome, you know, things like how we how we pay people, the sort of contractual terms we've got in terms of how you work from home. And there may be a hybrid, you know, maybe some time where you do spend in the office. What, what will we do with that time versus what you do when you're working? Um, and I think contact centres are going to experience accelerated change. You know, if you think about the sheer pace as we went into lockdown and the things we achieved, you know, they feel almost ridiculous by by pre-COVID standards, but but we found a way of doing that faster. And, uh, you know, that decision-making was quicker. That single unified purpose was there and the speed to get things done. And, you know, I think the last area, and I think it's a really important area, you know, things like artificial intelligence, powered insight, you know, it's going to be, to make that faster decision-making, we're going to need to have access to, to better insight. And there, you'll be constantly changing. Things are not going to be stable for a long time. They'll be constantly changing patterns of behaviour from different customers, from different groups. They'll be stimulated by different events, maybe in their home or, 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 or at home or in the um, in their environment that they, they work in. And, you know, I think that's going to mean that some of those complex data challenges, relationship building and understanding might mean, you know, we're going to have to invest even more in things like AI, machine learning and some of the big data technologies. So I think these are some of the things that strategically we've got to start thinking about as we think about the next couple of years. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, there's so many trends that 2020 sort of pushed over the edge for us, you know, a lot of challenges in 2020 and and still yet in 21. But in other ways, we've been forced to adapt to things that were coming, right, that maybe we weren't quite ready for, but that were sort of inevitable. It, It pushed us into that. And I think your points about AI and the use of data in particular are extremely valid and interesting as we think about how workforce planners and and contact center leaders move forward post-2020 in the new world of work, the new ways in which customers engage, et cetera, thinking 
about how to strategically use that data will become more and more important. In other words, they should all stay curious. We should all stay curious, right? In order to, to continue to succeed. That's a great thing. To <laughs> well, curiosity is definitely one thing to stick with. That's right. That's right. Well, Paul, I want to thank you so much for your time today. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed our discussion and boy, what a journey you've had as a strategic workforce leader and just taking the time to share your story with us. I really appreciate it. And I hope that you'll join us again soon. Thank you, Jen. Really great to join you. Really enjoy your conversation and hopefully people will find it interesting. Stay curious, y'all. That was great. I love that the first workforce hero that we got to highlight was a Scott. Talk about people that know how to rise to challenges. Not only did Paul and British Gas have to deal with regulatory changes in the UK that dramatically affected them financially, forcing them to try to shift a large percentage of customers to self-service, right in the middle of that effort, the pandemic hit. And they had to figure out how to accomplish all of that with a remote workforce. Paul, you are a real workforce hero with an ability to solve tough problems, not unlike Tony Stark and Iron Man. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Forefront of Automation, Workforce Heroes. If you did, be sure to subscribe so that you're notified when new episodes are released. Our goal with this podcast is to shine a spotlight on the success stories of contact center professionals around the world. We are grateful for the hard and often thankless work that you do to make sure great service is delivered every day. I'm Matt McConnell, CEO of Intradium. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Forefront of Automation. For more information, please go to www.intradium.com or contact us at intradium.com. All content of this podcast is copyright 2021 by Intradium.